Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We also have another installment of guest flick picks. This time, to discuss Alfonso Cuaron's Gitu Mama Tambien, we have an awesome multi-hyphenate filmmaker joining us. Abby Baez, thanks so much for coming on your first time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited. bit of trailer talk furiosa a mad max saga coming from george miller who's deep into his 80s but yet still kicking still bringing us some amazing cinema were y'all able to catch this trailer yeah i was yeah i saw it looked pretty interesting okay pretty interesting it's a little bit of a neutral neutral term are you thumbs up on it thumbs down on it um I I mean it looks good. I I enjoyed Fury Road um for what it was. I wasn't like on the I I, I mean the hype was really crazy for that movie when it came out. And I remember watching it and I'm like oh, that was really good. But that was like where my I guess opinion ended. So I feel similar to towards this one. I'm like it looks good. I'm excited to see it, but we'll see. How about you guys? I am a huge Mad Max lover. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, Fury Road. I mean, it's just it's incredible. Um, definitely one of the best action films ever. I would say only Terminator Two really is in the conversation next to it. Um, it's just fantastic. What a ride! And so I'm very much looking forward to Furiosa. I will say, based on just the trailer alone, I don't know if it's going to be able to get anywhere near the heights of Fury Road. Mm. But again, when you make like a masterpiece that's in its own league. It's very difficult to uh, recapture that in any way, but yeah, very excited for it. Dylan, how about you? I thought it looked okay. I didn't think it looked like visual quality wise on par with Mad Max Fury Road, but I'm still intrigued by the story and I'm willing to stick it out and see what see what we got, you know, see what see what's there. Mm-hmm. We also have some news with the MCU, Loki's creator, Michael Waldron is now going to write Avengers The King Dynasty. You may remember the Ant-Man Quantumania writer was initially supposed to be attached to that, but then after the failure of Quantumania, he was removed from the project. So now Michael Waldron is going to be in there to to write for that film, and then potentially maybe the sequel, because it's supposed to be like that two-parter King Dynasty Secret Wars, but no confirmation on that. Uh Abby, where are you at with the MCU? Oh God. Um, so I I mean, I enjoy some other films. I'm not a huge MCU fan, to be honest. Um, I understand why people like it, and uh there's definitely a few entries that I'm a I'm a fan of, you know. I guess the basic ones, you know, Infinity War, I think it's probably the best one. I, I like Winter Soldier. This is the very big ones I, I do thoroughly enjoy, but as a whole, I don't know. I'm not a big fan. I don't. I haven't seen any of the shows. I guess Daredevil's the only one that really hooked me. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like the new face of shows, I'm not really familiar with it. Gotcha. And what was the last MCU film you saw? Uh, theaters. The most in theaters. Yeah. Endgame was the last MCU movie I saw. <laughs> in yeah. theaters. Wow. 
Yeah. She got off the boat early then. Yeah. Um, I mean, game, I thought it ended, you know, so. (laughs) (laughs) True. Very true. Dylan has some very passionate feelings about superhero films and his all out rejection of them now. I'm I'm done with them. Tired (laughs) of it. Played out. Don't like it anymore. It's the same thing every time. I'm sick of it. I, I agree with to some, to an extent. I, I always do like when I guess a superhero movie comes out that's not really that's a little different, you know, like Logan, stuff like that I do enjoy. I look forward to that type of stuff. But yeah, pretty much done with the MCU as well. Dang. Yeah, the oversaturation of all the Disney Plus shows. I'm not on the boat with that stuff anymore. I think it was Hawkeye. The first episode of that and I was like, Wow. Like, this is just not worth the time to put into all this. So all the other Disney Plus shows haven't gone to not even Loki season two, which is mm-hmm. crazy because Dylan and I really enjoyed the first season of that yeah. uh, when he came out a couple of years ago. We actually did an episode on the pod for it. Um, and so I probably will loop back around and watch that because I did hear good things about it. But yeah. yeah, even like all the shows, they'll really have to convince me to watch it. And then now with the movies as well. Like no intention to watch the Marvels and some of the other things that they have in the pipeline, like Thunderbolts. It's just like, no, does not appeal at all. So we will see if they'll be able to recapture the magic somewhat with King Dynasty, bringing on Michael Waldron, who again had some success with Loki. But I don't know, as we'll talk about in the next segment, Marvel is struggling. They are no longer bulletproof as it comes to the box office or audience satisfaction. But some fans that are very satisfied as of late, horror fans, they're getting some good news. Two sequels have been announced just recently. The Black Phone 2 is going to be coming out with Ethan Hawke and the rest of that cast returning and Scott Derrickson returning as well to direct. And then Eli Roth, who just released Thanksgiving, that slasher film, he will be working on a sequel to that film. So there you go. Horror fans, especially of those two films, you got something to look forward to. That's great. Now we can do our box office breakdown for the Thanksgiving weekend, November 22nd to the 26th. Coming in first place was Hunger Games, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes with $42 million. Mm-hmm. After that was Napoleon, Ridley Scott's Napoleon, another man deep in his 80s, still cranking out some films. Mm. It made what, Ryan? Oh, didn't I? I didn't say that. <laughs> That's funny. No, we just need to announce Napoleon. That's all they needed to know. Yeah. It was $32 million, so More than I thought it would make. For five days, yeah. yeah. Impressive. Wish made $31 million, which means... It's Jover. <laughs> it's Jover. It is so sad. I win. Uh, I can't wait for us to do that episode. It's going to be so good. It's going to be finally. Yeah, box office draft is what we're talking about, Abby. And unfortunately, it looks like Dylan is going to win a travesty. (laughs) Oh, yeah. As it should be. It's amazing, considering where we started off this draft. Ah, this is going to be such a good episode we recorded. There will be a good episode to recap. I was such an underdog this year. Of this year. Absolutely. Uh, Trolls band together with 26 million. That's so close to wish. Oh, my God. That's insane. That's so funny. (laughs) Eli Roth's Thanksgiving, 10 million. The Marvels with 9.1 million. The Holdovers with 3.7 million. Saltburn, 2.8 million. Taylor Swift, the Heirs Tour, still holding on with 2.5 million. 
And next goal wins, rounds out the top 10, 2.4 million. And we can do our box office predictions this upcoming weekend, December 1st to December 3rd. The big two entries for this weekend is Beyonce's uh, Renaissance film for her concert and Godzilla minus one. Ryan, considering how good Taylor Swift did, do you think Beyonce will be able to follow it as well? Definitely don't think she's going to get as high because, again, Taylor Swift, her fans are they're something else. They're so feral. They really are. So <laughs> I do not think it'll be able to get that high. But, I mean, there are a lot of huge, dedicated Beyonce fans as well. So I think it'll get $30 million, $35 million, something like that. But I don't think it'll be able to hit what Taylor Swift is doing. Again, the hype around her this year has just been insane. And I do think Beyonce will come out on top of the weekend. But Godzilla minus one. Again, it's a foreign film. And it's not entirely in wide release. So that'll affect how high it's going to go. But let's see if it can get, I think, around $20 million for its opening. I think it'll get twenty five. It's a Godzilla movie. You know, people want to see Godzilla. It might be a foreign Godzilla, but still Godzilla. Godzilla is the same in every language. I hope people do go out to see it, but those are just some of the hurdles for it. Because again, it's the marketing. That's the thing that's holding it back of it, you know, being a foreign film rather than the major studio release from like Warner Brothers. So yeah, now we can move on to our main topic. Our guest flick pick, Itu Mama Tambien, 2001 film from Alfonso Cuaron. And then Dylan, can you check me on the cast here for three principal leads? Mm Mm-hmm. Diego Luna's in there, of course, but then who are yes. the other folks? Uh, what's his name? Gabriel. Gael Garcia. Gael Garcia. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And then I forget her name. For uh, Louisa. Yeah, the actress for her. Maribel Verdu. There we go. So our principal cast members right there, definitely the ones that are the central focus and their performances are incredible throughout it. So, Abby, you decided this is one of the films that you wanted to talk about on the show. So, talk to us about your journey with this film, how you first sort of came across it, and then what about it is so important to you um, and makes you want to, you know, bring it around and share the love around it. All right. So, um, I guess uh, the conversation surrounding, like, what's my favorite movie of all time? changes the more movies i watch you know like mm-hmm. i don't have a definitive favorite movie i feel like the more i expose myself to different films from different countries um with particular visions i think you know that list gets kind of shifted and uh but for the last like six years this has been like at the top of my list um i remember watching it one day just came home from it was on netflix and i watched it and it just it blew me away. I mean, I'm I'm Puerto Rican. I grew up in Puerto Rico, and uh, it was just refreshing, like watching a film. I mean, I, there's many, but this film just really connected with me in in the sense of like you know where it's shot and and how the interactions between the characters go. Yeah, this place this takes place in Mexico, but there's a lot of things that as a Puerto Rican I could relate to, and it's just shot so well, and I, I think the story is very fascinating. And, uh, yeah, I just will never forget the first time I watched it. It was just very exhilarating. Like, I had never seen anything like it before, and I haven't since. So, 
uh, yeah, that's kind of how I, I came across it. And uh, I think it's a movie that people should watch, which is why I'm always recommending it. With a disclaimer, because it's a it's a rather <laughs> it's a rather graphic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think it's something special. I, I think it's 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 saying something interesting and in the way it goes about its subject matter and you know that exploration of youth and sexuality and friendship and love and and death and all, it encompasses all in such an interesting way and and Coron is just a master the way he he goes about telling the story. Have you guys seen yeah yeah i I've seen this uh when was the first time maybe two years ago was the first time I watched it and I've seen it a couple of times since it's one of my favorite movies I, I think it's my favorite Alfonso Cuaron movie like above all the other ones I think it's better than Roma I think it's better than the uh, gravity I, I think oh, it's yeah. just it's just so like personal and incredible it's like such a such a great movie about like life itself and mm-hmm. he gets so specific with everything and it's such a small story as well like he, he zones in so very specifically and it feels like it could just be the story about this road trip and then the, like the use of the narrator just like puts a lot of perspective on the world that it's involved in and everything and it just it makes everything seem more elevated and dramatic and, and just so well balanced i think it's just such a good good movie it's one that i recommend to people all the time same same yeah the the narrator i think the movie would completely fall apart without yeah, i love the narrator the it's way such that, a good choice and i usually don't like narration in film that much mm-hmm. i think be overplayed but yeah they presented like he's an unreliable narrator he's not one of the actors the characters in the movie he's just kind of like this omnipotent person just telling you not just about what's happening but just details about the world and mm-hmm. you know drive down the street and it's like oh if they would have driven here 10 years ago they would have encountered this tragic thing that happened and then the camera just kind of zooms into like a grave and it just gives you so much context i feel like any yeah. other movie just like film them driving by and you have no real sense of like the space that they're in Correct. Right. It's almost it's almost like a book, like a, a third person narrator in a book. Like you you you'll read a novel and you'll have the characters and they'll be existing in the world, and then the the writer will give you extra information about the world that the characters don't even have, and it's so hard to do in a movie. And like the use of this very dry, monotone voice giving this narration that cuts out all audio while he does it, kind of like gives us the perspective beyond what the characters even have, which gives it even more weight, which I love. It's so hard to do. It's so hard to do narration really well. And this movie does it the best. I agree. Yeah, I would say that aspect of the narration, like the content of it, I was in love with getting to that deeper perspective on either the characters, like certain elements of their backstories that we see emerge in relation to whatever is happening in that current moment. Like, for instance, when they're like in the pool and then he says like, oh, you know how they get. Uh, this like stabbing pain right above their stomach and it goes back to like the one other time that they had felt that like that Mm -hmm. stuff is great the one that you mentioned abby is probably my favorite one because yeah that because they're they're like very much enjoying life at that moment not Mm -hmm. worried about you know the political situation mexico at the time or like you know the impending death for one of the characters so um it is a very joyous moment on that road trip but then it's like oh this very same road stretch of road however many years ago was the point of tragedy and the end of a bunch of lives. And then seeing the camera just like lift off from these characters, having their fun, joyous moments 
to those memorials that are on like the cliffs there overlooking the road. Um, like that was great. And there's a lot of times too, where the camera work will do that, where it'll sort of just have a mind of its own and be looking out at things as if it were a passenger, um, just seeing things along the journey that it wanted to focus on instead of just like whatever the characters were focused on at that point. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then that omnipotent or omniscient, I guess, uh, narration was, it was great. Like, I think that type of stuff, as you mentioned, Dylan in novels is much, you're used to that much more with film. Usually it is a subjective point of view with narration that we're getting and it's hard to do it because either it's just a clunky way to do exposition and, uh, not be, not utilize showing instead of telling. But in this one, you can sense that it, it had a much higher purpose than just being like, oh, exposition for the plot, right? That's not really what it's for, is to give us deeper looks into the character and the world around them. So, yeah, I thought that was very effective. I will say, the sound dropping out entirely before it comes on, mm-hmm. not a fan of that. Every time it really? did it, it's like, oh, it's, it's very jarring, which in context of the rest of the film, which I feel is very immersive, I will talk about all that stuff, but like those long takes, the performances, all of that felt so real. And like, mm. you could totally just get, you know, stuck in there, um, completely immersed. And then that narrator pulls you out, which understood is part of the intention, I would assume, um, to like get this break of, oh, this joyous moment in life, or, oh, this connection that we're having with the characters, and we pull back and see it in context of, you know, this wider story of their lives. And again, Mexico's sort of history. But I don't know, just every time it happened, I was like, dang. Yeah. So immersed into it. But yeah, funny story. The first time that I watched the film, I was in my room and I was watching it on my phone. I know it's tragic, tragic to watch this movie. Cell phone, don't do it. But that's how I watched it the first time Um, because I was lazy. But I remember I was watching the opening and it opens with you know, very graphic sex scene. And then when the audio cuts off completely, um, you can kind of hear like a faint, I don't know, siren in the background. And I thought, my, my first impression when it happened, I thought that my phone had connected to like the loop <laughs> we're, we're at at the time, I think, just chilling. And I'm like, oh my God, like the audio. No, 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 no having sex and i just panicked and i and i went over to the living room to make sure and i'm like what's going on and then i went back and i'm like is this like the movie like not working like it's netflix just messing up with messing with me and then i realized oh okay it's intentional but it scared the hell out of me the first time (laughs) i was like that's really funny yeah yeah that was definitely when that first happened too i was like oh no did the audio just cut out i was like no shot this is happening and then it came back, well, you obviously hear the narrator, and I'm like, okay, it's an intentional thing. But it did get me that first time where I'm like, oh, something's wrong. Ryan, was this your first time watching it? It definitely was. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I have it. heard of, you know, this film in particular, it being one of Quaron's. I mean, we've talked about it before, Dylan, I think, of like something to have on the show. We just needed yeah. the right time for it, either a Quaron episode or a guest flick pick. So we were able to have that opportunity, I guess, for me to watch it. And so I knew only that it was like this 
coming of age road trip type thing. I had seen, I think, a trailer for it or something. So I had known about, you know, it was the two friends and then this like slightly older woman that's going on the strip with them. And so that sex and sexuality would be a part of it, but I didn't expect it to be that big a part of it. They really, they let you know in the first couple minutes what type mm-hmm. of film it'll be. Um, and so I was amazed watching throughout it. Obviously, I think maybe not, maybe it was slightly before, but I feel like we talked about Roma on the pod way, way back when. Long time ago, yeah. And I was struck by a lot of the similarities that Roma has to this. It was fascinating to get back to an earlier point in Crowan's career where he was sort of tackling the same sort of approach stylistically, but then also like particularly with the backdrop of Mexico. It's a bit more forward in Roma, but like that idea of the turmoil that is going on behind the scenes that isn't necessarily the central thing these characters are dealing with, but it is a part of them, right? It's like part of the tapestry of their lives and it's sort of inescapable. And we see the camera feature that a lot in this film. So I kind of was, I kind of want to go back and see Roma now just to see how he has evolved as a director and how he's sort of tackling this somewhat similar subject matter. Um, But yeah, it was my first time seeing this and, as you guys have said, just the way that this is tackling those themes, the way that the characters just feel so real and authentic, like in the performance are incredible, but then, you know, the cinematography as well adds that the use of long takes, which he's very much known for. Um, other elements of Crone that we see, like the beach mm-hmm. and sort of spiritual cleansing of the water, very similar to Roma as well. That was another mm-hmm. major similarity. So all that stuff really struck me. And then, yeah, the friendship that they have and then what happens at the very end, like it ends on such a sad note. But then also, I mean, it is kind of bittersweet because you get, you know, Louisa's story, which is tragic, but she's able to find sort of happiness. And then she was able to live her life in the way that she wanted on her terms in her final few months. And then, you know, Julio, like, they get to learn these important things, but it's at the expense of their friendship. And so that that is a pretty tragic note that it ends on. So like that gut punch towards the end. I was it's brutal. Not expecting. Yeah, compared oh, yeah. to all the rest of it. Yeah. But it's, this is a film that I do want to rewatch as well, because I mean, I was noticing it throughout, but I was wondering, like, where are we going with this? Like, you know, the thing at the road where we're looking at the memorial looking at all the times that these like armed gunmen i'm guessing police or whoever it is are like pulling people over and apprehending them and things like that um all the focus on death as well like all the early narration that we get about the characters it always highlights someone that had died like this person's an orphan this person's parent is dead um so they're highlighting some like death death or tragedy that happened and so i was like yeah, where where's all this leading towards? Because it feels so distinct in tone from, you know, the sort of careless, youthful energy of Tinoch and Julio's friendship. And then it all comes together in the end and we see like what all that stuff was in there for, um, you know, sort of prime us for this tragic, but, you know, real raw ending. So I definitely want to go back and see it again with the knowledge of where it all ends up. So yeah. I think it'll definitely help improve it even more. 
yeah, it's way better on a on a second viewing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You catch so much more the details. I like to believe, like after watching it a few times already, because I watched it again in preparation. Um, I keep thinking back over like them driving and that memorial scene, and thinking about the ending and that beach, and I can see like obviously the movie ends, but I can see their whole story being like summarized by the narrator and someone else's story like years later someone visits the beach and i can i can almost see the whole piece as like the narrator going like oh if these people would have got been here in 2001 there was like a group of teenagers that came on a road trip and like tells the story like summarizes it while you're looking at the speech and i feel like you would get the idea just by that short narration the same way like you get it throughout when he narrates over other things that are, they're witnessing around mexico and like mm-hmm. you said political climate of the country at the time um Mm -hmm. and i think the whole film is just structured so well around that concept yeah and doesn't get old like i feel like on paper it should get old like i feel like reading this movie is very different than watching it you know like i don't know how this is going to work it's going to be distracting but it's really not as pulled off so well Mm -hmm. i agree i like that that take that this is just another story that falls into the tapestry of what's going on in, in wherever you go, that wherever you go, there will be parts of people's stories connected to those places. And that this is just another one connected to the places that they visit. I like that. that that's an interesting perspective. For sure. All right. So let's talk a bit more about their friendship that they have, which I think the performance helped to make it very authentic. Um, and also, you know, the writing as well, but I would wonder how much, was improvised or how much room they were able to just, you know, ad lib and do things like that with the amount of long takes and for how long they were, I would imagine they were given space to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely adds to that authentic feel, but I thought their like relationship, their friendship was established really well early on yeah. that moment of them in the car and they're sort of subjecting each other to the smell of their farts and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then particularly like when they're messing with, is it Yano? Yano? Um, yeah. But that his cousin and um, we see him, Julio, like get down as if to tie a shoe or whatever. But then when he comes up, he smacks the glass of wine into uh, his suit just to mess with him since he knew, you know, Tinoche was not a, a fan of him at the moment. So little things like that I thought were great mm-hmm. touches um, to showcase their relationship how strong it is i think through the narration they mentioned that stuff as well but you know it's great that they were able to emphasize it through the actual story and the interactions between the characters themselves so that was great the other element which i'm fascinated to hear your guys's thoughts since (laughs) this was my first time going into it so i didn't know what happened Mm -hmm. at the end um but we get to see you know they're in a pretty close friendship right they're like at the uh, in the showers, I guess, at the pool, and they're like commenting on each other's uh, penises. They're at the poolside on the diving board, mm. hanging off with each other. Would Let's you ever off. do that? Would you ever masturbate next to a This friend? was the thing that I was saying. I was like, you know, <laughs> all friendships are different, I guess. <laughs> but I thought in my head, like that meme of, fellas, is it gay to masturbate <laughs> by a pool on the diving board with your best friend? Well, um, as long as look at me. I'm kidding. <laughs> sorry, what would you say? As long as they don't look directly at me. Oh, yeah, of course. There's <laughs> well, no eye contact. No eye contact allowed. They weren't doing eye contact, but they were like, you know, they're listing up names. But I was like, even that, I'm like, okay, speaking to each other while doing it? Okay. 
Um, but anyway, I was like, you know, cultures are different. Friendships are different. Like there's different levels of crudeness around nudity and whatnot. So I'm like, okay, maybe Mexico is just like that. Maybe this pair of friendships is just like that. Because there are people that um, will do that. I don't know about, you know, the public bullseye masturbation stuff, but we will <laughs> see if you're naked and all that. Um, but it was funny because I was saying that when they were especially trying to get Louise on the trip as well. Um, I was like, these dudes just need to do a threesome together and call it a day, something like that. Mm-hmm. Not yet anticipating that <laughs> they would uh, eventually find something else out in that threesome that they weren't expecting. Um, so yeah, I knew that was like where it was headed up. Like they, there was something there that like together they just needed to go through that act, but them ending up kissing during it. And then that being sort of the wedge that traps them apart because they don't know, I guess, how to handle those feelings for each other. Or like mm-hmm. the fact that their friendship might be blossoming into something more. I thought that was pretty fascinating. And then it sheds a new light on the jealousy and anger and feelings of betrayal that they got from, you know, when they were each saying, oh, I've been with your girlfriend so many times and this, this and that. What and your mother too. <laughs> your mother too, yeah. <laughs> uh, and your mother too yeah (laughs) um it's interesting of like okay so where was that stuff really coming from um you know the feelings of like oh you would do this with the girlfriend but like i wasn't part of it or it wasn't with me or something like that i don't know exactly what um to make of that stuff especially on first watch so maybe on rewatch that'll become more clear it also was i mean at a certain point, they were just lying about it, right? Like them being like, oh, yeah, I've done it plenty of times with your girlfriend. It's like, no, I don't think that was true. They're just doing that to dig at each other. But the first times that they mention it is truthful, I think, because the narrator says that. He's like, oh, Julio is trying to create a less painful truth for him by giving him like some of the details. So it does seem like the first time when they're like, oh, there was one instance where I was with your girlfriend was true but i think all those subsequent times for one reason or another like what was their real motivation for trying to do it but they were trying to be like oh yeah we've done it way more than just once as a way to like you know dig at each other and hurt them right so what do you guys make of that of their friendship and then you know those undertones to their relationship so you think he didn't bang his mom <laughs> i'm gonna call no on that or my guy's really chill with that, or he was really drunk to process it. Because so I was like, that would be I insane. think he did it. I, I think he did it. Um, because, I mean, when it comes to their friendship, what I think is very interesting is that, yeah, we're, we're seeing, like, the exploration of, a, of a, what it looks like a lifelong friendship between these two characters. But I think, like, very in a very subtle way, it's also an exploration of class. Obviously, Tanoch is very wealthy his dad is and works for government and he lives this luxurious life where he can go spend you know eight months living in in vancouver because his dad's running away from like some controversy um Mm -hmm. and then on the other side of the spectrum you have julio who's poor and he lives with his mom and his sister in a really small apartment they all share a car and i think even though these two characters really love each other as friends like I, from the very beginning, I could I could sense that tension, like just through that very subtle, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like that very subtle uh, critique. The yeah, the subtext of class, 
and it just keeps building, you know, and I think that tension between the two were like, you know, I think they both envy their lives in, 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 to some extent in different ways. And, you know, like Julio envying like, oh, oh God, like you have all this, all this wealth and all the things that you can do. And I feel like Danosh is always under like the constant pressure of his parents, you know, oh, you're meeting the president, you know, tuck your shirt in. Um, you know, Julio doesn't have to, doesn't care about any of that. He can just show up to the party and drink and be more free in that way. Whereas, you know, and he can go study whatever he wants. Tenoch cannot because his dad wants him to go into economics. So I feel like there's so much tension and so much jealousy between them that it just keeps building up. And then in comes uh, Luisa and starts disrupting this whole friendship. And it becomes like something they both want. It becomes a competition and they become they start to hurt each other in different ways. And then, you know, going back to the ending where like their friendship just kind of this, they never talk to each other again. That's like the last line of the movie, which is a very tragic line. But I think it's just, it, it wasn't Luisa who, who started it. I guess she just kind of finish, like finishes it off, like delivers the kill shot. But I feel like their friendship had been deteriorating for some time prior to Luisa's arrival. And I think that's very interesting, the way they captured that. Yeah, she finished him all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very quickly, too. Ways than one, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what do you make of it, Dylan? I think I think what Abby said was right. I think that there is an underlying tension to their friendship, and there is a, a definite competition. When they're masturbating, aren't they trying to beat each other to it? Like, aren't they trying to see who can come first? Yeah, and, that, and they're always racing in the pool. Yeah. Always There's always, like, they always have a competitive spirit with, with one another. They always want to be better with one another. And that might be, like, a... It's like a boys will be boys kind of thing, or maybe they're flirting with each other a little bit. But there's there's always that tension to their friendship of like trying to one up one another. And then in the last scene when they're dancing with Louisa and they're and they're like finally free and they're drinking and they're having a good time. Then they go back to the room and then they start, you know, like having that threesome together. I feel like the the guise of competition has disappeared and there's no longer an attempt to try to one up each other. And so what's left is whatever's left in their friendship, which is just the feelings that they have for each other of like genuine affection. And so they just express it, which is just to just go make out with each other. You just go nuts. Among other things, you know, <laughs> among other things. Yeah. That we've seen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, right away you can see that it'll possibly be the final nail in the coffin to their thing. I mean, they wake up in bed side by side and then, <laughs> Is it Tenoch that runs out and like pukes? Yep. Walks over to the uh, the breakfast table. Um, but yeah, they even get through the narration that like they didn't talk at all on the way back. And so they never explore these. And that's what I think is interesting as well is, you know, they go through this whole journey and then obviously that ends up happening, but they never confront it or discuss it or try and make sense of it. They just sort of have to, they part ways which I think is a fascinating, you know, way to cap off this coming of age story is they learn some truth about their friendship, their relationship, but it is ultimately destructive to them. And so they part ways. And with Louisa, we do get like that sense that she became comfortable with herself in the end and was able to enjoy her life. Um, but both of them looked pretty dour and dreary when they were in that like cafe together and they're catching up um i think we hear that tenoch is studying 
economics at his mm-hmm. university. So he's sort of like fallen into that role that he has to. Um, and so again, I mean, it does hit those notes of being realistic and authentic. Um, but I think it's fascinating for like a coming of age story that they, through finding that truth about themselves, like they sort of, they completely drift apart and don't really fully confront and understand who they are as a result of that. They sort of just run from it. So I thought that was another fascinating uh, yeah. choice for yeah. made with the story. It's very interesting how they both have a friend who came out as gay throughout the course of the story. It's a character we never meet, but they do talk about him a lot. And like throughout the movie, like how his parents just disown him because he's gay and he just chose to accept that life. And then at the end, while they're in the dinner table, um, they he comes up again in conversation. And then they're like, oh, no, he's happy. Like, you know, he has a boyfriend and everything. He's just living his best life right now. And there's like a little tension between them there. Like, in a way, they envy this kid's bravery to like just be himself and be open to that idea. It's kind of like a little hint of like maybe these two characters, you know, would like to be more than just friends. They just are not brave enough to admit it to themselves. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah, which makes it tragic. It's sad. Yeah, tragic. Yeah, there's nothing in their way except themselves in that moment. So it is very tragic. The, uh, I guess that does bring up another component. They do call each other gay a lot in the film, like insulting, <laughs> like, like the yeah. Epsler thing. And I thought that was just, I was like, okay, you know, 2001 teenagers that's how it was but no there's another element to all of that i suppose so right yeah well in the defense film um i know the because i'm assuming you guys speak spanish either one of you or uh they speak a little okay well the word (laughs) hold on we need to interrogate that for a second you speak a little (laughs) yeah i my coworkers have been teaching me my my coworkers have been teaching me a little bit, and uh, I've been doing Duolingo, so I speak a little bit of Spanish. I have to be able to speak to the the guests that come in and give them directions because they just don't know where they're going. They don't speak English, so I, I I know how to tell them where to go and stuff, and to speak with them. So I can speak a little bit of Spanish. Give us uh, an example of a direction you would give. Uh, so if a guest comes into valet and I need to send them to regular parking, and they speak Spanish, I say a la luz derecha y a la próxima luz izquierda. That's pretty good, man. That was Thank pretty you. good. Thank yeah. you. Wow. There you go. I, I can vouch for that little uh, sentence. He just said he was pretty good. <laughs> Thank awesome. Because, awesome. yeah, he could have just been saying anything. And I'd be like, what? He could have right. said the uh, the cabbage is in the fridge or whatever. And I would have been like, wow, that sounded good, Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, in, in the movie, I know they do call each other gay with a very particular word that's, you know, very problematic right but Mm. it's funny how it's just that's like the translation you know because in spanish i mean the spanish that they're speaking in the movie i I guess that word it's not like really what they're saying i guess they're saying it in in a more playful way but then you know in the subtitles they do drop like the f-bomb and it just Mm. makes it more like whoa but i guess in context it's just slightly different i guess it's just more of an issue with the translation not not an issue i Mm. think it captures it very well but I, I do think that as if you're reading it and English is your first language, like that can come off as like, oh my god, like really are they saying that to each other? But I guess it's like a, a bit of a miss, in, a loss in translation type situation going on. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but with the stuff about Louisa, so her sort of whole 
arc and you know what she's going through after being cheated on by uh her husband they were married right yeah they're married dang very tragic layer on top of that um and so she does decide to go on the trip with the boys despite knowing obviously what their intentions are um but we see through that you know those times where she's crying alone in the hotel room um and then in one of those times to know she walks in and then that's when she finally goes ahead and seduces him and so it's fascinating to see how that element to it like you know that sexual freedom and that sort of route to achieving i don't know just the happiness or a, a liberation in her final few months of living comes about um but she's still clearly very like heartbroken and sickened by what had happened with um her husband i forget what exactly it was but like it was early on i guess it was at the doctor's office but the narrator had said she takes some sort like, of test out of a magazine and it like tells something about her what was that yeah, thing exactly it, a, it says that she's an incomplete woman and she didn't it says like oh like the test says oh she's an incomplete woman and she doesn't agree with that or she had mm-hmm. an issue with that but, but i think it's i think it's inherently true you know i feel like she is incomplete you know up until that point and i guess her search for i guess fulfillment begins once she embarks on this trip with Tenoch and Julio. Exactly. Yeah, but that that idea of like with um, her husband, she didn't yeah feel fulfilled or entirely complete. And part of that was just, you know, being in that relationship where clearly he wasn't um, being entirely faithful. And so it wasn't whatever she would have hoped for out of a marriage like that. There's another narration where they talk about like when they're, welcoming guests and doing a dinner party and how she'll sort of be put down uh, because he's asking about some sort of, I forget again what the exact context was, but he would ask about some piece of knowledge and she wouldn't know. And so would politely be like, Oh, I'm just not sure about that. But then would withhold the fact that she could interview them and target them on, you know, the number of the teeth, like the correct numbering for each of the teeth. Um, which she knows, of course, is part of her job, and they wouldn't know. But she doesn't do that because she's not going to be the one to belittle them. So I thought those little glimpses into her and how she was um, in that prior life, where, again, she's not going out and doing all these crazy wild things, um, but ultimately didn't feel complete. Or, like, you know, in her heart of hearts, I think she knew she didn't feel complete or satisfied with her life at that point. So this whole journey that she goes on alongside um, the boys is part of her trying to get there, right. And get that sense of completion and enjoyment out of life. And she ultimately gets it. Like we see at the end there when she's still hanging out at the beach and is like diving into it. Um, There's that line, which I wonder if for the translation, this is exactly what it was. It did strike a little odd, but it was like life is like foam, and so make yourself like the sea. Uh, what I had in my subtitles, at least, right? Uh, so uh, I guess it's really hard to translate what she's really saying. Uh, saying, sorry, like I guess the first half is true. Like you know, life is like foam, like la vida como espuma. 
what her second some pelota, I think is what she says. Uh, kind of. I guess it captures like the point of what she's trying to say, but not directly. Mm. Um, it's kind of hard to translate directly, but but right. yeah, sounds better in Spanish. Uh, yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was figuring. But either way, it's just sort of a a statement of you know her achieving that actualization, mm-hmm. and feeling completed and feeling free. Um, so yeah, I thought that was kind of a beautiful element on there are there any other aspects to louisa's story and that in relation to the two guys that stuck out to y'all no i just thought it was a a very very beautiful and well written movie well directed movie i think it just touches a lot on on things that i feel and things that i experience in my life and uh i think it's very honest and very personal which i always appreciate in the film yeah with uh luisa in particular um i would say she's my favorite character in, in the film obviously it's the one i can relate to the least which is funny um i feel like i find myself relating more to the to to both julio and Tenoch, you know like the friendship that they have and you know, like how they tease one another. But Luisa just feels like so alien to me. What she's going through is so specific to her. And, and I find it very fascinating because essentially uh, there's two ways of looking looking at Luisa. Like the first time I watched the film, I didn't really like her that much. I was just like, oh, she's just crying because her husband um, cheated on her. And, and you just see her throughout this whole trip, you know, seducing these two young young boys and and causing turmoil in their friendship because she got cheated on. That was like my first impression. But then at the end, you know, once you, you realize what's going on with her, it kind of changes your whole view of the character. So watching the film again made me kind of sympathize with her. Cause she, it's just, it's so interesting. She knows she's going to die and she's taking all of that in alongside, you know, everything around her, all that stimulus, as they're driving through these towns, as they're meeting all these characters and, you know, experiencing these really beautiful moments, these awkward moments, these intense moments. And it's, it's all like just overload, a sensory overload for her. And I, I feel like she, she maintains it fairly well. And then what looking at her cry at the end of the day, at the end of each day, it's just like, it's just so much that she can't hold it like towards the end of the day. And I, I think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think, story is just so tragic but so beautiful because out of all the characters i think she's the only one that you know is fully complete by the end even though she's no longer alive so i thought that was very poetic and very well done yeah i agree absolutely with the cinematography i just wanted to speak more on that stuff emmanuel lubetsky as the cinematographer so good it looks i think he's of all time better than deacons yeah. there i said it i'm sorry <laughs> i mean honestly yeah i mean that's a definitely an argument you can have because this is just ridiculous so much amazing uh imagery in here a lot of compelling just angles like choices that they make one in particular was when louisa's leaving to go with the boys for the first time uh on the road trip we don't follow her out of the apartment. We just sort of sit in there and then it sort of pans and looks out from the window down at them. Um, and so just things like that, like that bird's eye view that we're getting or like a God's eye view, 
uh, we could say is, again, she's going on what is literally like her final journey. And so, again, she didn't even bother as well to, like, close the um, the window or anything like that because she wasn't necessarily going to return. So things like that I thought were very striking. Mm-hmm. The long takes, of course, like the one at the rodeo when they were initially trying to get her to go to this fictional beach of heaven's mouth that they're making up. Um, I thought that was great. Like it was a, a long take starts in wide. And then we see them slowly like closing in cornering her on the edge of the railing there. Um, so like that stuff was great. And you can see like in the background before the shot starts to cut them off from pushing in, see the like cowboys or whatnot with the lasso as they're trying to do the same thing, like reel her in. Um, so just things like that are impeccable. There's always things you can parse out in the frames. Uh, the bar at the end as well. Yes. I wish I could have like clocked how long that was. And it was like seven minutes, right? It, it's yeah. a long, long, long ass. So long. So I was thinking, I'm just like, imagine if someone flubs a line or something goes wrong and they have to restart all that because, wow, like they were going for it for such a long time. And it helped set the mood so well again that like a very immersive quality was there because you forget at a certain point like you notice that it's a one take and then you sort of forget because you're so immersed again and you're like holy crap we're still going as she's like at the uh jukebox and then started coming back dancing i'm like this is just insane like yeah and i think the blocking in this movie just goes hand in hand with the cinematography i think the blocking is insane like mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of people don't don't think about it but the, like the blocking of the characters in relationship like to these crazy one takes is just so precise especially in that bar scene you know cuz you got mm-hmm. so much going on you got conversations with them here you got the people in the back you have people walking over and cleaning the table and it's just so like very well done and it's just the fact that they did it in one take is just mind blowing to me. Absolutely. The stuff in the pool as well with the leaves that were on oh, top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That imagery is really great, especially at the end once Tenoch leaves and Julio sort of left there. And then he just sinks into the pool. And so we see this little hole in the leaves where, and then still his bubbles are like coming up at that point. That was a great striking image, I thought. And then Louisa in the phone booth, leaving yeah. voicemail for you know at her apartment. And then we see in the reflection of the photo booth next to it that doesn't have the light on. We can see the boys playing ping pong or something. I think it's pool. I think they're playing pool or foosball. Pool. Yeah, something they're playing um, in the background. So then you know experiencing just yeah, having fun, this joy of like the you know a game, a competition that they're doing. But a friendly one, and then she's just in that phone booth, you know, laying it out, laying it all out on the line, knowing how close she's getting to the end. And it's just such a great way to see those like two sides of this journey. Like for one, it is a very tragic endpoint, and for the other, they were coming into it thinking it would be all fun and games. Um, and so we see that dichotomy there in that shot. Just beautiful, just fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah. What do you guys think about like the contrast between, I guess this this being a really just tragic story because it's just so sad, but the presentation of it all is just so vibrant and, and kind of upbeat in in most parts. You know, it's a road trip movie, it's a coming of age movie, but it's so incredibly depressing. 
Uh, what do you guys think of that conscious? I think it, it just handles it so well. I think it takes incredible skill to pull that off. I think, yeah, it certainly does. It's the mark of a master to be able to balance tones like that. But I do think, you know, they they give you hints all throughout of like what type of story it's leading to. Again, we've talked about before, like those narrations of the tragic events that have happened, like the car crash on the road, or even before that, there's like a guy that got hit. He was like on a bike and he had mm-hmm. gotten hit. Um, and so again, the camera like follows that as they pass by it. Um, I think it, it does a good enough job of showcasing like harsh realities alongside again, the youthful vibrance of this coming of age thing. So even though it is still pretty shocking, like the way it, it goes down, like it does hit you in the chest about, you know, their friendship dissolving and Louisa passing, but it doesn't feel like it's out of nowhere. It doesn't feel like this is this crazy twist just to have a crazy twist. It felt true to what we were seeing and what, you know, how we were being guided throughout the rest of it. So yeah, I think that's why it hits hard so well is it does capture i mean life is like that mm-hmm. you know it can be so joyous but it's also fraught with so many dark things and sad things and tragic things um and so oftentimes they're one and the same this road trip is that for all of these people it's like joyous and amazing but then also terrible and tragic at the same time for you know the revelations and the meaning of what it will be to them afterwards so yeah i think it it does so beautifully, very well handled by everyone involved. But yeah, Coron, he's got it, man. I mean, he just absolutely does. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Any other final thoughts that we have on the film? Uh, I Just that I think it's a film that everyone should watch. Um, I think it's just such a unique story. And, and such a unique set of circumstances for these characters. And uh, yeah, obviously I, I understand that if you can get past like some of the more graphic content of the movie, I've met a lot of people that don't really care for just how graphic the sex scenes are, which is totally understandable. It's not, it's not a film for everybody, but it's definitely one of those films that I think is just a challenging film. You know, I, I, I find myself enjoying films that are challenging and challenge the viewer. I think this is one of them. And uh, it's shot incredibly well. The performances are just great. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely my favorite movie. I don't see anything topping it anytime soon. And if it ever does, then that movie has to be pretty crazy for me to say that it'd be better than this one. But yeah, I love it. Definitely my favorite foreign film, um, mm-hmm. favorite film of all time. And uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm super glad you liked it. I really enjoy uh, what you guys have to say about it. Ryan, you were saying some really cool things that made me go like damn i gotta rewatch it again now with what you said so i really like how you guys broke it down awesome yeah and thank you for selecting it at least for me i know yeah dylan you had seen it before but yeah thank you for making ryan watch it because i've been trying to get him to watch it for three years (laughs) yeah so yeah you got me across the uh the finish line there with watching this film so yeah, it was it was great. Any final thoughts out of you, Dylan? I just love this movie. I think it's fantastic. Highly recommend to everybody. Awesome. All right. Then out of how many Charolastras out of five, if I said that correctly. Yes, you did. Uh, pretty okay, cool. nice. 
Muy bien. Dylan, how many Charad Astros out of five? Oh, a full five, baby. You know it. <laughs> can I go? Uh, can I go up to a six? So I'll give it a six. <laughs> six out of five. That's pretty good. Sure. Why not? I mean, yeah, your favorite of all time. Absolutely. I'm giving it a four point five Charad Astros out of five. And I suspect this is one of those films that on rewatch and sitting with it more, it'll only increase in my estimation. So, yeah, very lovely film. Again, thank you, Abby, so much for choosing it and for coming on the show. We loved having you on. Thanks. Absolutely. So, this is great. I, I love what you guys are doing here. Um, I'm a fan now. I'll be I'll be going down <laughs> every episode and uh, I'll be Ooh. tuning I'll be tuning in every week to to keep up with the news because even though i'm a filmmaker i I, i'm pretty terrible at keeping up with the news so you guys will be my my source to stay informed that's awesome you hear that ryan we have one fan now yeah i mean (laughs) we'd love to hear it we'll definitely have you on again oh we'll have to find another time another situation to bring you on board hell yeah. yeah all right that's all the time we have we'd like to give your thoughts on the show you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day. Bye.